All right, it's Monday, September 19th. You are watching Market Call. That's MKT Call. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined today by Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. Guy is off this week still. Carter, welcome to Market Call. How are you, bud? Yeah, I'm good. I was going to bring my guy, Adami Mass, rubber mask. (laughs) You know what? I got to tell you, know, it was going to get hot and it gets, it's weird. So you know. you know what that mask would look like? I think it would look like a Richard Nixon mask. Well, you know, the mask that the guys were wearing in Halloween for all types. You get a Trump mask. Yeah. Oh, mask. well, yeah, you could have that one. Have all right. Well, guy will be back this weekend. He is in Sicily. He's just getting in touch with his, I don't know, kind of his inner Sicilian self. And that means he's going to come back. All fired up. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by Tomorrow and our production partners, Open Exchange and Carter. You know, we use FactSet's fine data and charts in the production of this program, the market call. You know, we really like how you've been using the white charts. We're kind of riffing on those a little bit, and hopefully, we've differentiated enough between your fine work and the hacky work that we do on the charts. But you you can be the judge there as we get to it. Let's talk a little bit about this, this kind of downward volatility we've seen in the markets, the upward volatility we've seen in rates. Goldman Sachs, this is Carl Quintanilla tweeting this morning, forecasting. Listen, we've heard a lot of talk about peak margins, right? And we know that a lot of companies have passed through a lot of these kind of inflationary inputs through to consumers or, or done whatever they could to kind of defend their margins. But sooner or later, that gets to be a little much, right? The longer this kind of recessionary environment goes on. And again, I'll just use the term recessionary because it feels like we're in one of those things. But again, this consensus is still calling for increases in margins in the S&P 500. Just not happening, if you could just think about it this way. And then JP Morgan, Carl's quote tweeting this morning, saying that eighth time this year that the S&P has lost at least in a week. In the seven previous occasions, the following week was positive four times. I mean, that data, whatever. Are we ready for a bounce here, Carter? Because it seems like there's a lot of bad news in the market. We know that we have this Fed meeting starting tomorrow. It's very well telegraphed that they're going to raise 75 basis points. The surprise would be if they go 100 basis points. But, you know, I said this late last week, Carter. It feels like that kind of early June when it was the first time it was floated that the Fed might do a 75 basis point raise at the June meeting, the stock market sold off 10% in a week and then rallied out of the meeting. And then subsequently, obviously, they raised 75 basis points in July. And now they're going to do again. Talk to us a little bit about the psychology of that when you see data like that. And what do you think is going to happen in the stock market this week? Yeah, I mean, our hunch is lower. We know, of course, that the greatest moves to the upside or downside hard stop, come from an overbought or oversold condition. So if you let's start with an upside move, when you think it can't go anymore, my gosh, yeah. it's, it's overbought, it's an RSI reading at the Bollinger Band, whatever it might be, guess what? They go further. That's the blow-offs of the dot-com era or energy. Think about just recently. And the reciprocal is when you think it can't get any worse, think of middle of 08 in the market or a stock that's crashing like an Enron, the biggest moves to the downside come from really destroyed assets. So the question is, is the market oversold here? Sure. But some of the greatest moves to the downside come from an oversold condition. Our hunch is it's not finished and that there's more to go. 
All right. Well, listen, we're not trying to trick you here. So here's my S&P 500 chart here. You see the line. I think you would have probably drawn the same line. Now, this is looks like your chart, but it's not your chart. This has that really nice looking fact set watermark in it. Now, the charts that you produce on Market Call have a very nice worth charting watermark on there. So let's just be very clear about that. So even if we were to have like that data from JP Morgan says for the last seven times, the stock market sold off at least 3% in a week, the following week was up three and a half percent or something or four and a half percent, whatever the data was for the seven times. Even if we rally back three or 4%, it gets us back to that former uptrend which was support now resistance is that correct and, and i know you like to think about checkbacks sure they're sequences if you think about the the sequence from the june low and we made it almost an 18 percent move after a big spurt a big expenditure energy, the s p dips well since the august 16th high it's not straight down after each swoon you get these counter trend up move so a counter trend up move here is perfectly valid but it doesn't change the picture of a yeah. fairly sick chart. Now, as to the statistics, that's not what they are. Let's just be clear about this. You can talk to people who have PhDs in statistics and mathematicians. They say you need upward of 130 inputs. Yeah. It's called statistically significant. When someone says four of last eight times, okay, you know, four of the last eight times when I went out my door, I bumped into my neighbor on the elevator landing and the other four I didn't. So I don't know, should, was the neighbor going to be there this time when I'm going out in the morning? All that stuff. I look at it, it's fun, it's like a comfort thing, but it's yep. not real. You would never bet a dollar on any of that. Yeah, fair enough. I agree with that. And then let's just look at like backing out the S&P chart to the start of 2020 here. And you look at that kind of top of that range that we identified, that is the June low 3630. And you see basically an air pocket to the Feb 2020 high, which was about 3430. So like 200 points there. And again, is that an arbitrary level? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's like, I've been fixated on it for a while. I can back into why I think 3400 makes sense for the S&P 500 from a valuation perspective, especially if we're going to see peak margins and we're going to see basically S&P earnings estimates come down and what you think the appropriate multiple is on that. To me, it's somewhere in the range of 3,200 to 3,400. Again, anything about that support level that that I've identified there that, that piques well, your interest? Let's talk about the lower line, which is, of course, <clears throat> taking the pre-COVID high. Yeah. And then think about how far above that we are. Well, guess what is right at that level? The MSCI All Country World Index, which just for comparison purposes, is almost 55 trillion in market versus the S&P at 32. So considerably bigger. It's June low is exactly all the way down to the pre-COVID high. And then it retested it, meaning the S&P, as distinct from other global indices, is still well above. And there's every indication that it will go lower just as others have. Okay, and I agree with that. Let's talk about rates here because in that that JP Morgan tweet was a comment about rates and you know, I said this late last week. I thought there was a good chance that we might see rate expectations really top out with a 75 basis point hike and I was asked on Fast Money I think on Thursday, I mean, heck, I might go 100 basis point here and then just kind of Take a step back here. Doug Cass, who writes for Real Money, he is a fund manager at Seabreeze, who we quote often on Market Call, who I'm a big fan of his work. He asked this question. So let's talk about this before we 
get to your TLT and your 10-year U.S. Treasury yield chart. Over the decline over the last two days, especially strong today, home builders have been conspicuous on the upside, perhaps foreshadowing an imminent peak in open market interest rates. If so, would Wednesday's Fed rate rise be a buy on the news as it relates to, I think, home builders and rate sensitive names that have been pressured because of the upward trajectory on rates? And I think this probably ties in a little like well with what you're thinking about rates here. Yeah, so there's been not only home builders, but utilities and other very rate sensitive areas of the market have held up well in a tape that is consensus that rates are going meaningfully higher at the long end. I'm kind of in the camp that they don't go much higher. And we shall see, we know when we do look at the charts that we're right back to the June 14th high. And so the question is, real rates have exceeded their 14, the June 14th high, the two-year yield has exceeded, but the 10-year has not. And so it's just a question of whether it does or does not. Yeah. And I guess my point would be is that the 10-year yield could come in here and it probably doesn't have to. You, you just said June 14th. That was the prior high. We also know that corresponds within a day or two of the June lows in the stock market. And I think at this point, knowing what we know, given what we heard from FedEx last week, what we're likely to hear in some other pre-announcements you know, in the next couple of weeks or so, that the 10-year yield is likely coming in. Yeah, maybe the Fed's going to pause here a little bit, but also because of slower growth. So talk to us a little bit about you know the TLT. You've kind of been outlining this thing here a little bit. It's getting a little overdone to the downside, in your opinion, just as rates on the long end are getting a little extended. So walk us through your thought process here. Yeah, I mean, look, you can see that we have... And the inverse, of course, is yield, but this is price, the same as the actual bond itself in Chicago. But it's a vehicle that matches, if you had an account in Chicago, trading the TY1. So the question is, yes, it's breached the low, but it, it's done it sort of begrudgingly, as, as I would say it. And so my thinking is that you don't get a big move down here in TLT. And actually, the better bet, the contrarian bet, is to be small long. Yeah. And again, you know, I just say this, you know, we often on market call, maybe we'll do it later on the week when you're back with us. We detail some trade ideas, how we would express these views, maybe in ETFs, maybe in options. You know, TLT vol is always relatively cheap to many other risk assets out there that are moving around. And so to me, defining a risk with calls or call spreads makes some sense in that if you want to be a bit contrarian here, because again, you know, there's a lot of charts, Carter, falling off the bottom right of the page here. So let's talk a little bit about some of these names. Yeah a really good report this morning on worth charting talking about how some of the price action that we saw let's say in a fedex with a piece of news and a big gap lower was preceded by weakness in the charts here a little bit and we kind of highlighted some of the names that i think are important if i want to kind of marry what i think might be coming from a fundamental basis you know what i mean with your charting and your technical setups here let's talk about this whole setup and, and the premise of this note So what we saw last week was fairly dramatic in individual names, and they all had the common chart pattern that you'll see coming up here before they broke. And so National Cash Register, NCR International Paper, Adobe, FedEx, WestRock, a packaging company, all dropping 10 to 20 percent. And their patterns as overlays were identical. And so the question is, if and as other stocks in a similar position crack, I think they do, does the market ultimately have a down leg coming? That's our premise. We can look at some of the charts. Well, let, let, let's let's start with the like the biggest of this lot that you put together in your report, and it's Alphabet here. And you know, this one we know that there's been 
plenty of pressure for kind of ad supported models and you've seen a bunch of blow up snap which is a much smaller competitor facebook has been an absolute disaster i know facebook was in your report here but this is you know a 1.3 trillion dollar market cap company it's down you know 30 percent on the year it's down more from its all-time highs here just really bad price action even with that move back to that downtrend that had been in place from the all-time highs made in january talk to me about this one because again if you're looking for big names to kind of lead the way to the downside, this has got to be one of them. Right. And the first observation that anyone would make is you're right back to its May, June lows. It was yeah. May in the case. And that why can't it be a double bottom? Okay, it can. That's what makes a market. Someone's going to buy it for that. And other people are saying it's going to break. But the point is that it's just dropped 20% from its August high. And its relative strength to the market, if we did this exact same chart of the market, we did. You, we saw in the beginning of this conversation, the market's some 7 8% off of its 52-week low. Google is at its 52-week low. That is the definition of poor relative strength. So does it break? That's my hunch. The arrow's drawn, and it's drawn in red, and it's pointing down. Yeah, you know what's really interesting about this one? So here we are, Carter. We're almost done with Q3 here. And and investors are very soon going to be focused on 2023 estimates, right? When you think about that. And so here's a stock that you hear people defend a lot because it's a mega cap stock that's trading at the cheapest PE ratio on the out number that it has in a very long time, about 17 times. You know, earnings are expected to grow about 13% next year. Sales growth. Here's this is really important. Sales growth. This is expected to be its lowest sales growth since I think the financial crisis is mid single digits here. And maybe that proves to be too conservative or maybe it proves to be too aggressive. And if you said that there's going to be, you know, increased costs, like, you know, as it relates to just kind of their business. And, and again, we've seen this with a lot of these ad supporting models, which means lower margins and then sales growth is declining. I mean, that's a disaster for a name like this. And I just wanted to throw up again, this is how our viewers will delineate between your charts and my charts. I just want to throw up a, a five year of this one and just kind of show this level. It's not only back to the June levels, it's back to that kind of late 2021 sort of cluster after that gap, Carter. And and then you look at that and if we want to use, for example, again, that pre-pandemic high, right? There is a massive air pocket. Yeah, there's plenty of support levels in between here and there. Maybe it's 80 bucks. But again, this one feels maybe just a tad too early to start picking if you're looking to dollar cost average. I mean, right. The real takeaway from the longer term chart, of course, is just how good it was, how strong it was, what a big advance it had from its COVID low to its peak. And you know, excess like that is often sort of expunged, if you will. And cool, we've given back a lot, but it has all the elements of an important top. And would you just step in and buy it? Why? Because it's a double bottom. That means nothing. It's yeah. under pressure. There's risk. And the greatest risk comes when there's the lull and the perceived comfort of value. They're known as value traps. I don't know, 17 times cheap, is it? What does that mean? It's nothing. Hey, so Carter, talk to me a little bit about this. So, so basically, fifty in the pandemic low to about one fifty at the high late last year or this year, January or so. So here we are, right around a hundred. Okay, like we can even do this simple math here. Talk to us a little bit about the measured move, how you think about this sort of stuff. So fifty to one fifty, back to one hundred here. Right, and so do you have to give back the entire move? No, and that's why people use retracement levels. 
Some people rely on Fibonacci, perfectly valid. There are also gaps below to identify or key levels as you have in your chart, which is the pre-pandemic high from which it swooned. Uh, all come into play, you draw your lines and, and you make your judgments. But here and now, if something is cheap, truly cheap, right? It can't stay there. If you put a for sale sign, brand new Tesla on the lot, eight grand, it, it won't stay there. I mean, this is this is a known fact, right? Yeah. And so if something is mispriced, truly mispriced, money moves to it, it's arbitraged away. Where are the buyers? How come they're yeah. not stepping in? It's yeah. because it, it's not clear that it's that cheap. All right, here's one that always trades cheap. This was another one in your report. This was Whirlpool. And we know that this company was like, you know, had basically the very unique problem during the pandemic of just not having enough product to sell, right? And so here we are now, we're seeing a lot of those kind of post-pandemic trends. They're seeing massive deceleration here. And this stock always trades at like mid to high single digits PE. So it's always labeled cheap. But here's the deal, man. Earnings and sales are expected to decline this year and basically be flat next. And so, you know, down 37, 38% or so on the year reflects what I think a lot of investors think is just going to be a very difficult, you know, kind of uh, environment for this company for the next year or so. Talk to me about this chart, because again, this lines up very similar. I mean, you could say double bottom. I know it's not a point in time, but it's breaching that. I mean, I don't know if we can toggle. Let's just toggle. Can we do a Google Whirlpool, Google Whirlpool and see how that looks? Because guess what? They're identical. And yeah. that's the point, because you can do charting without having the ticker or the name, but you can't do the fundamentals because it's a mental, it's a blank. You think, oh, I'll study it and I'll pretend I know something about Whirlpool. There are people whose entire economic livelihoods, that's of their families, are dependent on them getting the financial statements right and predicting Whirlpool's earnings. And what, one person who's got his regular job is going to do it? The chart will lead you more often. And it's identical to Google and it looks like it's going to break. Other people say it's a double bottom. You got both these wrong, Carter. That's what makes a market. All right, but let's do this. Now we're going to take my fact set chart here. I'm doing a chart from the start of 2019 of Whirlpool. And one of the things I thought was really interesting, Carter, that this double bottom comes at that February 2020 gap at the pandemic. You know, there was like that really one big bad day in the stock market that started what was a 35% peak to trough decline in the S&P 500. Stocks like this went down more than that. Is this line significant, this support line that it's kind of straddling right now? Not particularly. The double bottom is significant, but that it happens to connect to the February gap is arbitrary. But the point is this, it's below its pre-pandemic high, right? All the other charts... You're drawing the line at the pre-pandemic. Now, this one's blown. Here's the main takeaway. And this is where we can either poll 100 analysts and ask them, or we could rely on the chart or do both. Is this asset right now, which is trading below its pre-pandemic highs, so there you are before a 100-year storm hits, a killer, a pandemic, is this asset worth more or less if we're going into a recession than it was two years ago? It's worth less. If we're not going to recession, then you should buy the heck out. Matter of fact, all right, here's another name. Again, you're going to say it looks like Google and it looks like Whirlpool. This is DuPont. This is your chart. It's a one year. It's right above that kind of June, July, you know, lows there. Again, it looks the same. One of the reasons why I pulled this one out of your charts is I wanted, there was a lot of tech heavy stuff, a lot of stuff that looked Mm -hmm. similar together. And I think Google makes that point in and of itself because there's a lot of the smaller names that look like Google. But the fact that we had an industrial, the fact that we have a chemicals name, a lot of stocks in a lot of different sectors are starting to look the same here. 
And that's just it. And and here too, again, when I, you know, one can say, well, you're just pitching charts, always pitching charts. Listen, I did more Qs and Ks than probably anyone in the world and at some of the highest levels at investment banks. And here's the thing. I started to study this. And I was like, wait a minute. This DuPont, the DuPonts, this has been in business. They were selling gunpowder in the Revolutionary War. 300-year-old company and the thing stops on that red trend line over and over and over to the penny. I mean, <laughs> at some point, you either pretend you can do the DCF work and you're going to figure out interest rates and what it's worth and you know something about chemicals and Dow versus Dow chemical and the economy. Or maybe, maybe, you know what, that's a little bit egotistical. Let's look at the charts. It's setting up for a break. Someone else will say it's a double bottom. That's what makes a market. All right. Well, listen, you called my my chart going back to 2019 in Whirlpool arbitrary. Look at this in DuPont, Carter. I drew the same line to the same gap in February 2020, and it lines up the same as your, again, maybe it's just arbitrary. I just wanted to put that that point. That's my chart. That's not yours. Again, maybe arbitrary, maybe not. Yeah, what's so fascinating is it's how so far below its pre-pandemic high. Well, you, you said the same thing about world I, again. Right. I agree, and this was not it, quite touching the green line, whereas the other one was at the green line. So they're all different. But the main takeaway is talk about an undesirable asset. I mean, look at this thing. If if you didn't, for, you always have to suspend what it says. The ticker, remove the ticker, and you just looked at this and you said to someone, "Hey, I got an investment for you. This is what you get." You'd be like, "What? That looks like Six Flags Great Adventure riding, and I'm about to puke." <laughs> Been on too many right it's not a winning stock it's a sickle glass that if you catch it right you make a buck and if you catch it wrong you lose all your fingers there you go all right now here's another one in financials and i think capital one is interesting because again i know it's in your wallet it's not a capital one card but when you think about capital one and where they kind of live as far as the sort of consumer that might be having a harder time with some of these inflationary pressures and we're seeing consumer credit tick up we're seeing defaults tick up it is interesting that this one, again, makes your list. It's the same chart as all the others. Yeah, the correlations are, and that's what, in great market moments, if this is going to be a perfect double bottom, the market's going to rip, correlations go to one, and a great collapse is the same thing. So here too, we could study Capital One and then study Discover and study American Express. We could figure out who has higher charge-offs, who's got higher quality lending. Yeah. Or, or we could say, hmm, let's see, it hits that red line four times to the penny. It's a double bottom or it's a break. Let's play the chart. Let's do that. All right. I'm down with that. And I'm just going to do this one more time. My chart, not yours, going back to the start of 2019. Look at my green line, how it lines up with your support, your double bottom. This is in COF, still right back to that February gap. Again, it is below the February 2020 pre-pandemic high, but it is interesting that they're lining up with those gaps pretty well. Yeah, so below the pre-gamic high, you don't quite have a double bottom because in this case, Capital One has already made a new, a slight new low. Yeah. Uh, but here too, like DuPont, talk about a wild ride where one has to be basically almost perfect in their timing. And so the question is timing here and now. Do we play for a bounce? Yeah. Do we play for it to sink further? It's real hard. We all know this and we, we all have duds. My bias is that there's so many stocks look like this hovering at lows that because of that, we can make an inference that the market breaks lower. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. We're going to look at high yield because you talked about the high yield ETFs, the HYG and the the JNK, the junk bond um, ETF. And this might be the key to this whole puzzle here because, again, you know, one of the reasons why we had all of that stimulus, fiscal and monetary, monetary first, obviously, was to avoid a credit event, right, during the pandemic. And the fact that we had easy money for as long as we did, that's why we saw the wild ride in some of those stocks, right, for that whole period in 2020 into 2020. 
2021. And now it's kind of coming unwound here. And I think it's interesting in the same report that you're highlighting similar price action or similar technicals in the high yield bond ETF. Because if we start seeing some issues in that market, then equities will clearly all of those names that we just kind of detailed above will be making new lows. Well, that's right. And you can look at the LQD, which is for investment grade corporate bonds. It's the same chart again. And so it is a major juncture for risk assets. And what we do know is that credit events are some of the worst events when it comes to equity swoons. We have not had a credit event yet. If and as there were to be a credit event, Dan, you're making this point, you'll see it here in the HYG and you will see concomitant collapses or severe weakness in equity indices and equities themselves that are poised at well-defined lows. Yeah, no doubt about it. I just wanted to back this HYG chart. I didn't put any lines on it whatsoever here, but you basically see basically this series of lower highs, you know, over the last, call it 15 years or so. And, you know, to some point, I mean, you know, there is a series of lower lows here, but again, this has kind of been dragging and, and didn't really have, I mean, it, it got back to the pre, almost to the pre-pandemic highs here, but the precipitous drop over the last year or so is really interesting. Talk to me about that, Carter, when you think about it, because there aren't too many things out there that suggest that we are in the sort of crisis that when we've seen drops of this magnitude, like, what does that mean to That's you? That's right. I mean, you've gotten to the heart of it. So here's, there's two ways to take it. You say, so... Let's see, this guy, Carterworth, his eyes aren't working because every time it's been this depressed, you bought the heck out of it, you made a fortune. That's the opportunity because there isn't a crisis and yet it's priced as though there were a crisis because the last two times it was as low as this, you see one was a plague, right, COVID, and the other was the financial crisis low. So, you know, or other instances like that, get on board long. But then you, there's the exact opposite interpretation. How could it be this bad already? when we haven't had a recession and we haven't had a credit event, what if that's what's coming? Then this goes a lot more. Yeah, and then I just wanted one more real quickly before we kind of move on from this topic because I think this was really interesting. One of the reasons why, again, I think a lot of our viewers know that we, you know, Guy and I use technicals as a very important input into a lot of what we do. We know that it's only what you do and we know that you understand all of the others. This is what your discipline is, though. You know, this one was really interesting to me, though, the target chart, because this was we talk about pre-announcements and that was really what rattled the stock market last week, that FedEx announcement here. And that was what, 10 weeks after they had already given like a good guide, the stock was trading well after that in late June, right? And then there, you know, things just changed really quickly. Well, if you remember back in the spring and early summer, Target did the same thing. They gave guidance and then they, you know, like they basically pulled that guidance and they guided down. You see that huge gap in late May here. And it was interesting. Early this summer, we rallied back to, you know, like a level. And maybe that red line is an arbitrary level. It's also the declining 115-day moving average. And you see that uptrend that we've kind of been in here, but we never got above. We never really filled in that gap. Well, here we are, Carter. We're breaking that uptrend. Is that uptrend significant? to you and might that suggest that we're about to see a negative rash of, of you know commentary as it relates to some of these retailers because again if they were pinning their hopes on back to school sales and I know you don't give a crap about that sort of stuff and then we're going to be like oh maybe that's a mulligan now we got the holiday season I'm not buying it man I think it's going to be really promotional I think this is going to be really bad I think there's a like really heavy heavy inventories I think the consumers getting tapped and this chart looks nasty to me. Yeah, and it's the uptrend line into effect since the low. 
which is the same uptrend line in effect for the S&P. And the S&P has broken it, as has so many others, and why not target? And that one-day drop in gap, the biggest one-day drop since 1987 in the stock, Walmart had the same drop in gap and also its biggest one-day drop since 1987. You don't have that kind of thing in a trailing three, six-month period and just off to the races after that. There's healing, there's time spent, or you're actually going to have another down leg. I don't like it. I'm a seller. Yeah. All right. Well, one last thing here. We've talked about a lot of negativity. Well, here's one that's negative in my portfolio. I've been short this Tesla over the last month or so, and we've been in a declining market and this thing is just not going my way. Talk to me a little bit about this. These are, again, my arbitrary lines. You see the uptrend that's been in place, the downtrend from the all-time highs late last year. I just drew a little resistance level at the last couple highs that we've had since the start of August. What's this chart telling you? Yeah, I mean, the main thing, of course, independent of the lines or the charts up, is the relative strength. Tesla is holding up. I'm on the wrong side of this as well, Dan, looking for a break. It is not broken. It's been very strong. And so sometimes there's an expression that has to be invoked. Strength, where strength is unlikely, has to be respected. And so think about that in the real world. That's what the Rocky movies are all about. Wait a minute, he's not going down. Wait a minute, he's not going down. (laughs) My God, he's going to get up and kill. When something shouldn't be happening, and it does... You have to respect it. And so it's a team that comes back, a political campaign that comes out of nowhere. Strength or strength is unlikely has to be respected. I just would close the You know what? That's a really good analogy there because one of the things I think a lesson of Rocky 1 and 2 is that Apollo Creed, you know, he did not respect the relative strength of Rocky. And, you know, he said at the end of that fight in, in, in one, there ain't going to be no rematch. And then they start number two and they're in the hospital and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're just jawing again. And Rocky says, right. hey, Creed, I thought you said there's not going to be a rematch. And you know what? He should have respected that strength because he lost his title and he never made it back. That's right. All right, fair enough. All right, let's do one. Here's another one that lost its title here. This is the Bitcoin. And you've had a couple really great calls um, this year, probably more than a couple here. Let's go back to initially back in, I think it was early June or so. You were calling for a move to 25,000 here. You know, you kind of said enough is enough. You had that move here. And now at 15,000, you're saying you think it's a sell here. Walk us through your thought process here because we've talked about Bitcoin a bunch on Market Call. You've made some intermediate term calls that we've debated a little bit and i'd love to see like can you give our listener or viewer how do you change your mind sometimes in a direction of something is it just achieving your target sometimes does it not get to your target but it's been a winner where you kind of take some money off the table and then how do you turn from going long to basically saying to sell or be short something yeah well for starters it's arbitrary (laughs) so it's subjective and there isn't any real answer that a lot of it's feel in life and sometimes you get it and you feel it exactly wrong. The last published piece was July 7th, just what you're referring to late June. It was July 7th, and it was the quick path of 25,000. We were down around 2021. 20, we got there. We got to 25,200. I didn't actually put anything out at that point saying, hey, it's achieved its objective and haven't written on it since. But over the weekend, it really looked like this thing had some swoon potential. And so we put two tweets, two blast to institutional clients and to worth charting members why Bitcoin is likely to to come apart quickly. So with a little good luck, it's what happened over the last 24 hours. Here and now, we think it's lower. We're thinking 15,000, but we we can look at the charts and try to divine it 
together. Now you could say those are arbitrary lines. To some extent, the bottom one is, I've only connected two points. You can connect any two points. The downward sloping line is what's important. It's been descending. And so it's what's known as a continuation pattern. You're in a downtrend and then you stall and churn and ultimately it continues going in the direction of the move that preceded the stall or churn, which is to say, after stalling and churning, it goes lower. In fact, look at the second chart, I'll put it in perspective. That's three months, this is six. Here's my point. We've been in a downtrend, you consolidate, and then ultimately the thinking is you break lower. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about it, you know, Guy and I go back and forth. I mean, Guy's you know, heavy belief is that once the Fed does eventually pivot and goes from this very hawkish stance to a dovish stance, that that'll be really one of the few catalysts in the near term or, or you know, in any term for Bitcoin right now. You know, I've been really kind of lukewarm on, on the Bitcoin ecosystem for the better part of this year. I have not owned any of it. I've bought and sold some Ethereum here and there, but I think Ethereum is really interesting also because because you know, it was showing really good relative strength to Bitcoin for a large part of the summer because of the enthusiasm about this merge, you know, this move from a proof of work to a, a proof of stake. Well, that came and it actually went, I guess, relatively smoothly. And here we are. We ran up to two thousand from one thousand at the lows this summer. And here we are at 1350, you know, so it just goes to your point about the wisdom of playing some of the fundamentals here. I mean, the price action was telling you that this was likely a kind of buy the rumor, sell the news. And that's exactly what happened here. So again, you know, maybe this is part of it, Carter. I can't think of too many near term fundamental catalysts for owning each of them, which makes me a bit nervous, especially with all these guys who are huge proponents of Bitcoin. They've all lost their laser eyes on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. So you almost no, wonder. I don't know what that was, all that red, with the red thing. So, so that means, you know, you know what it was? It was basically that they're in it forever. Like they're never selling. They're they holders. don't have those eyes on there anymore? No, so they obviously, you know, I think once you actually sold, to be intellectually honest, you had to take the laser eyes off. So I see. I'm glad I never had any any eye makeup on my... Uh, hey, listen, we know what the worth charting, you know, nothing slick, just charts, buddy. So listen, yeah. we really we really appreciate it. And I just want to remind our viewers, our listeners, you I mean, Carter is working tirelessly on these charts. He has a product that's geared towards retail investors, people who watch and listen to, you know, programs like Market Call. And he also talks to dozens, if not more, of large institutional clients, the same clients he's talked to for decades when he was at large investment houses. So so again, we appreciate Carter bringing his fine work from worth charting to our viewers of Market Call. So thanks, Carter, for being here. I think we're going to see you again later this week. We really appreciate yeah. all your fine work. Thank you very much. All right, listen, that does it for today's Market Call. Thanks once again to our sponsor, FactSet. I hope, Carter, I did not defile their charts versus your charts. They both look great. They are FactSet data. So thanks to FactSet. I just wanted to differentiate between ours and yours. I'm going to be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. with my on-the-tape co-host, Danny Moses. You know him. You love him, Carter. Please tune in at one o'clock Eastern for Market Call with myself and Danny Moses. Thanks again. Bye.